What's up, everybody? Welcome to a brand spanking new episode of the Premier League podcast here on FanReg Sports with me, Sebastian Norin, alongside Elliot Niblock. No Pauly today. He scored some sweet hockey tickets to see his New York Rangers play at Medicine Square Garden. He said they were on the glass, which is good when it comes to to hockey. Oh, that's amazing. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> right yeah, now. Yeah, it's funny. I was, I was passing by uh, Madison Square Garden right as the game was starting. I was like, oh, well, he's in there. Yep. Good for him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're up right now. There's four and a half minutes left to play. They're up four to three over Carolina. So hopefully he'll get to enjoy a win there for the blue shirts. But we're going to talk soccer. And... We got some news here today, Monday, as we're recording this. Uh, Southampton decided to sack their manager, Maurizio Pellegrino. Or is it Pellegrino? I don't know. Could be. It's always hard hard with this stuff. I'm sure it's Pellegrino in his native tongue, but whatever. Yeah, well, we're not going to be saying his name quite as much anymore because he's no longer a Premier League manager. That's true. That's true. So alongside, I'm going to say Pellegrino. Uh, assistant manager Carlos Companucci and uh, first team coach Javier Tamarit has also parted company with the club. Um, Southampton released a statement here today and they said the club will look to appoint a new management team as soon as possible with a search for a replacement already underway. So this doesn't come as a surprise really if you take a look at the table and Southampton's form, they've been pretty abysmal here for a while. Uh, right now, they're hovering just above the relegation zone in 17th place with 20, 28 points, uh, one point ahead of Crystal Palace and Stoke. So we'll see what happens there. Gary Neville, you know, he said afterwards that, or after this news, that they need a quote unquote hitman with experience at the bottom of the Premier League to come in and sort of salvage the season and make sure they stay up in the Premier League. And Mark Hughes and Marco Silva are reportedly among the early favorites to take the job. Do you think that either uh, one of these guys would be a good fit for Southampton? I don't know. I mean, I think that... I think that... Maybe... Maybe Silva... Um, but also, I, although I understand why they decided to sack the manager, at the same time, it's just it's not quite it's not quite dire straits yet, right? Like Southampton aren't in the relegation zone, but they're only one point above it, so it's probably for the best that they sacked him. Uh, I mean, I think that. I mean, but but do you think? I, I'm I'm curious about the idea of. Marco Silva being linked with them, right? Do you think that he's realistically going to take that job? Whoever they bring in, usually you see that, you know, initial bounce back. So, yeah, I could see Silva be a pretty good I mean, fit that would be the, a, that I would mean, be a pretty quick turnaround from him getting the sack himself. Yes just in January to, oh my gosh, he's a Premier League manager again. Maybe I shouldn't, 
shouldn't say that about uh, not needing to know how to pronounce Pellegrino's name properly because who knows, maybe he'll be on the area around himself again with another club within another month. Uh, but yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think that the thing is that if I'm uh, – I'm of two minds about it, right? Because I think that in terms of just like, like cultivating a, a culture of sustainability at the club you want to promote from within – and I think that that's usually sometimes the best for a stewardship, right? For a manager who's just going to be a steward to see out the end of the season and try to avoid relegation. But at the same time, we've like seen that kind of new manager effect and teams tick on and have some success. So, but it, but you can't just, you can't just assume that appointing somebody from outside of the organization is automatically going to have that impact, even though we've seen it pretty pronounced, not only in the last few years, but this year particularly. Yeah. And so I, I don't know. Looking at Silva too, he's been rumored to uh, take over Benfica next season. So that's the thing too. Would you rather, you know, go and coach a team that is supposed to be, you know, fighting for a league title, play in Europe, or do you take on Southampton, who's been pretty depleted of talent for a number of years here now? You know, they've they've gotten a lot of great players through their system and then they cash in. So, I mean, financially they're doing well, but at the same time, like what's the best you can do really at Southampton? You finish seventh or eighth. Yeah. Maybe you finish well, seventh, you get to the Europa league, but then you have to, you know, the club sells all the best players every summer. Yeah. Well, and see, that's the thing. I mean, your last point there, I think is that it's crucial because, they had such a great academy, right? You know, they, they very easily could kick on. And, and of course, all, all the Saints fans want to see exactly this, right? That they, they build from, speaking of promoting people from within, you know, not just managerially, but on the pitch itself. They had this amazing academy, but they're just a selling club. And so from a managerial perspective, like if you get promises from the board that okay, no, we're, you know, we wanted to use this platform and then we're going to aspire to greater things. By all means, Southampton could be a great place to be. But you're not going to get that kind of confidence from board level when you're being appointed as a manager to salvage a season and battle relegation, right? So it's, I'm sure it's very frustrating for Saints fans because they do, they have that platform in many ways, but it's, long as they're a selling club yeah you're right sixth or seventh is going to be the height of their aspirations and that's kind of a shame for an academy that is as illustrious and consistently successful as Southampton. yeah and i think with silva too even if you bring him in and he's you know make sure they don't get relegated i i still think there's a good chance that he would leave for benfica over the summer i mean that's familiar territory for him going back to portugal and everything that comes with that which is some some sometimes I, I feel like we sort of miss that part of the equation too. You know the whole social aspect. That's why there's been some you know talkings about Antonio Conte going back to Italy is because well yes he might be butting head with Roman Abramovich, but the fact is too that it doesn't seem like family life in London really suits his family. 
So we'll sort of see what happens there. I think Mark yeah. Hughes, if he takes over and you know make sure they don't get relegated, I think they're stuck with him. Mm. And then he's, yeah, well, and then you know results might not be super stellar next season, and then he'll get fired, and then then they're in the same boat again. Well, but the thing is that we're talking about this boat in terms of we're you know we're using languages like uh, uh, sustainability and platform, right? But there's just so much money involved that you have to believe that every year you maintain a position in the Premier League, which again is very much in doubt for them coming into next year. But that gives that platform greater breadth and depth, right? And it doesn't mean that you're going to kick on to really challenge for a title, but I think that you have to believe from a Southampton perspective, you look at something that you know, like the, the Leicester championship from two years ago, right? Yeah. You look at that and you have to say, look, we have such consistently amazing youth players. If we're able to get the stars to align and, you know, have a player like Jamie Vardy play beyond himself in his previous career for one season and have another player like N'Golo Conte come in and combine that with these academy players, then it could really be something special. But it's just, it's, it's so unfortunate because those exciting talents, those seasons in which Southampton were having been in the lower divisions and getting promoted to the Premier League, you know, really punching above their weight by all counts, uh, it's frustrating to, to kind of see that stagnate and flip backwards as a real direct result of just selling on those players that were so successful. Yeah. Yeah. If we move back to the actual things on the pitch, uh, Manchester City took a 2 nothing win over Stoke here on Monday. Two goals by David Silva. So Man City sitting extremely pretty in first place, 81 points. Manchester United second with 65 after their 2-1 win over Liverpool. And we'll talk more United when we after the break when we'll talk about the upcoming game in the Champions League for the Red Devils. And the news that Michael Carrick is saying goodbye after this season. So it will... Yep. Yeah, I got some thoughts on that, but we'll keep it to the Premier League for now. Uh, with Tottenham beating Bournemouth 4-1 and Liverpool losing, they leapfrogged them into third so Spurs sitting in third place so still a nice little race there and then you got Liverpool in fourth and then Chelsea in fifth after winning two to one over Crystal Palace that game was a lot you know closer-ish than I thought it would be I know Palace scored in like the last minute but at the same time I well but they I mean Palace were uh, Chelsea if Chelsea play like that, and we'll talk more about you know the Champions League and the European competitions later, but if Chelsea play like that against Barcelona and the Camp Nou, they're going to get absolutely shellacked yes. because they gave Palace plenty of chances yeah, to win that game. And that, that's the thing too. I mean, Palace, although it's it's hard for them, they've been hard done here in a couple of games. Played really well, nothing to show for it. But you got to try and take some form of confidence from being able to play well against the bigger teams here when they do end up with a slightly better looking schedule because I mean if you look back at their last 
Yeah, we could say four games. So they played Everton, they played Spurs, they played United, and then they played Chelsea. That's not an easy run of games. No. So we'll see. They play Huddersfield on the road on Saturday. So maybe they can get some points there. Who knows? Who knows? We're going to take our break here. And then when we come back, all the focus is on the European Cup competitions with the Champions League and the Europa League. As we got some pretty interesting midweek fixtures. So stick around. Okay, we're back looking at the Champions League Tuesday. We got two games on the slate. Manchester United at home to Sevilla. And then Roma at home to Shakhtar Donetsk. And uh, let's start with the United game. It was scoreless in the first leg. That was an incredibly boring game. (laughs) Even by Mourinho's standards. Yeah, but I got to say, though, that the first half that United play against Liverpool at least gives me some form of hope that they can be entertaining once more. Because that was a good first half. They played a really nice first half against Liverpool. They backed off a little in the second half, but that first half was some of the best we've seen from United in quite a while. Yeah, it was swashbuckling attacking play, the likes of which Fergie would have been proud of. Yeah. Um, A lot more direct. I mean, they played... You know, if you look at the lineup, they they played with um, Matic and McTominay. You know, both of them sort of pretty low, and pretty pretty much just bypassed the whole center of midfield and just played it out wide or up top uh, against Lukaku. And you know, he had a good game. Rashford, of course, the obvious star here with both the goals for United. And really nice seeing him back on the score sheet. Two very good finishes. Great composure. Yeah, he's a, he is a player that it's really exciting to see. And I'm, you know, <laughs> did this in the first half looking forward to, to European play. And now I'm going to do it again in the second looking forward to the World Cup. But I, I he just, he needs, and we've talked about this before in the way in which the World Cup can kind of be this like huge staging ground and shopping markets for players at club level in the future. And that that success doesn't always translate, but sometimes it does. And I, I would really like to see him kind of, you know, really stake his claim as not just one of the emerging talents in world football, but okay, really one of the greatest strikers in, in the world. And he, I think that he has the raw talent. He just needs that stage and he needs that kind of success to, to to come maybe dare i say it in a context of a team that's not managed by jose Mourinho. yeah i mean that... but he was he was great he was great in their match against liverpool i have to give him that you know even in the Mourinho side well i mean that that's the problem though that he has you know very nice scoring touch and everything but he doesn't get the opportunity that much to play up front as he should, seeing that, you know, Lukaku sort of has that on lockdown. Last season it was Slatan. And now that they do play with two strikers, well, then he wants Alexis up there. 
So we'll see. But Rashford's such such a good player, and uh, yeah, I mean he could uh, definitely be a a play to watch at the World Cup. Although I think England will play with one striker, and that striker will be Harry Kane. Uh, we got news that yeah. Michael Carrick is going to retire after the season. He's you know been at United since 2006, and I don't know. It's it would be interesting to hear your thoughts on this because I, I I sort of feel like Michael Carrick is one of the more underrated English central midfielders of the past decade. Wow, that's. I mean, you know. I guess maybe you're right in terms of just his vintage. He, in many ways, was overshadowed by the likes of Lampard and Steven Gerrard for much of his career. Um, I'm still, I'm I'm torn. He's a player I have a lot of time for. Maybe you're right in saying that. I just, uh, eh. he he seems to me a cut above. Jer- journeyman and has been able to establish a long and successful career but I doubt that any team that he's ever been on his name will be the first or even the third that you remember in terms of the players on those iconic championship sides oh no he won't he won't but he's been a great servant to the club and yeah you know, had good spells with West Ham and a couple of good seasons at Spurs before United bought him too um. So, yeah, sad to see him go. Although he is 36 years old, looks like he might take up uh, a, you know, some form of coaching position at United, uh, whether that be with the youth sides or whatever. I think that would be a great fit. I always like to see when you have players like that that goes into the club and stays with the club and you know share their knowledge of the game with the younger kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and you know I I use that phrase journeyman, and I mean that just in terms of the kind of the the quality, right? Like there's this in sabermetrics, this term wins above replacement, right? And he's he's the kind of player who maybe gives you a war rating of one one and a half, maybe as many as two in the Premier League, right? Like he's not he's not going to be a world beater, but he's a solid he's a solid player and he's reliable but also i think that the time that he's spent with the club in terms of a leadership level yeah that's got that's got to be valuable for bringing young kids up yeah so i still give united a good chance here of moving on against sevilla i just hope that they try and play the same way as they did in the first half against liverpool uh, the other game but they try to win it instead of trying not to lose exactly play to win don't play not to lose. Uh, well, the other- and the thing is that Mourinho's tactics, if you break it down over the two legs, if they do that and they win, and then it'll look like a masterclass, right? You go in, you go down to Spain, you keep a clean sheet, doesn't matter, you don't get a goal, you get two goals in the first half, you know, you run out big to a two-goal lead, and then you can shut up shop in the second. Like, that would be not only tactically in the, this game itself, but from a broader tactical, maybe even you could say strategic point of view for the whole tie, mm-hmm. that would be perfect. I just fear that, yeah, if they end up trying to be negative, then Sevilla nick a goal, 
then then it's a huge uphill battle all of a sudden. Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. The other game, Chuktar, they have a two to one lead after the first leg. And I mean this is really interesting. I mean what's the game plan going into Rome with a two to one lead? I mean, they because you, uh, it's dangerous to just try and sit just, back because all all Roma need is one goal and they're through. Well, yeah, I mean, w- one goal and they're through exactly. But yeah, no, I think that Donetsk has to take heart from the fact that they won the first leg in the tie and they have to go for it, right? And they 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 conceded an away goal. They need to score an away goal and. Once they once they're able to do that, then it looks phenomenal for them. But I I have a feeling Roma are going to be able to get it done at home. Ah, I'm hoping for Chakta. I'm hoping for Chakta. Then Wednesday, uh, Besiktas against Bayern München, and then that big matchup between Barcelona and Chelsea. I mean, we can't really say too much about the Bayern Besiktas game. It's five nothing to Bayern after the first leg. I just hope that. Besiktas fans, you know, behave themselves. Turkish fans are very, pa- uh, yeah. they are very passionate and sometimes it spills over to the wrong side of the, you know, behavioral yeah. spectrum. It can be, well, at least it's their own stadium, so they'll be less likely to try to destroy it should they become really frustrated by it. But yeah, I mean, Besiktas has to be, their goal has to be a goal. And yeah. I think that if they're able to do that, then they can at least hold their heads a little bit higher, but, you know. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so Chelsea-Barcelona 1-1 after the first leg. But at the same time, like you said, if Chelsea... Barca should stop. Yeah, they should win this game. Yeah. Well, and Messi's coming off even an extra few days of rest because of the birth of his child. He didn't play against Malaga. Uh, the weekend mm-hmm. so he's going to be coming in even a little more fresh and maybe also with a little bit of a particular extra spring in his step i don't know now that he has his third child yeah um i i think that this is a game that if chelsea if chelsea are able to beat barcelona or even just you know well and of course they can't like right now barcelona has the away goal so they can't just sit back and say you have what you hold because they technically hold nothing. Yeah. But if they win this game, then I would say it's at least as big, if not a bigger upset than, well, it's not as big a game, but when they beat Bayern in Bayern to lift the Champions League trophy, was it five, six years ago? Mm-hmm. Uh, when Drogba ended up being the, the kind of swan song in his career, huge hero at that. What do you mean, Swan Song? He's, playing, that obviously, he's been playing for Phoenix Rising. Come on. Uh, yeah, okay. That's, that's maybe a Swan harmonica at this point. He's no longer singing. He's just occasionally playing some tunes and collecting his busking paycheck. Yeah. But anyway, uh, I, I, obviously the occasion was a much bigger stage when Chelsea lifted the trophy in Munich. But I think that in terms of how much of an underdog they are on the road, I, you've, you've got to say that this is at least the same, if not more, because I think this Barcelona team is better than that Bayern team was, 
And I'm not convinced this Chelsea team, despite being higher up the table than they were in 2012, I'm not convinced that they're as good a team as that 2012 team was either. No. No, that's true. That's definitely true. I mean, just looking at the fixtures too on uh, on Wednesday, one thing I do really in like here is that one game, the first one, Besiktas Bayern, starts at 1 p.m. Eastern, and then Barcelona-Chelsea is 3.45. I really like that. I wish they would have done that with the games on Tuesday too. What, the staggering like that, you mean? Yeah. Or just how much later they are because of the difference in time. Oh, no, no. no. Time dif- I don't care about daylight saving. <laughs> it's like for a week and then we're back to normal. Uh, no, but just the fact that they stack the games. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, and it's, it's strange that they only do it on Wednesday this week also, yeah. which I I don't know. It may have something to do with um, – how early they want the kickoff to be in terms of like safety thing, Besiktas ultras. I have no idea. No, uh, maybe. But like, regardless of what the logic behind it, I agree. It's nice to be able to see both of them. Yep. Okay, and then Thursday, Arsenal AZ Milan. That's the game we're going to focus from from the Europa League. Two nothing for Arsenal after the first leg. Nice win in Milano. How confident are you going into this one after, you know, recent results? Well, so <laughs> I I want to say really confident, right? Because not only um, not only have we won our last two games, but also we are not playing an AC Milan side with. Zlatan Ibrahimovic, who can just destroy us. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm, I still, the, the ghosts of that 4 0 drubbing against Milan still haunt me a bit. Um, yeah, but that team was a totally different team. I mean, yeah, looking completely at, different. I mean, just look at completely the different. lineup that they had last game. I mean, I, I'm. Okay, Bonucci would take a spot, of course. If you're if you're looking at which Milan players would take a spot at at the in you know an Arsenal starting eleven, I would say Bonucci, and then maybe Donnarumma, and that's it. Yeah, and that's being you know looking a little bit towards the future as Donnarumma is extremely young. Pitacek, he's pretty old. Yeah, I mean. Uh... It's, yeah, th- th- this team is is still very much not the troika of Kevin Prince, Boateng, Robinho, and, of course, Zlatan up front. Um, and also, the, the flip side is that after getting destroyed at the San Siro, Arsenal very, very nearly were able to come back and get it done at the Emirates. And so I hope that they can show up with a professional performance that sees them through. I also, however, the thing that, that concerns me the most is that Arsenal were able to play a good game defensively, and Mustafi, who's had a terrible season in many respects, had a phenomenal game this weekend, um, played really well at home against Watford, not only getting a goal, but defending better. Koscielny defended very well, especially well, actually, in Milan, but I'm still not convinced that this Arsenal 
Arsenal team has the solidity at the back to play, to approach a game in any way except for we're going to score as many goals as possible. And we saw some of, you know, some of that kind of bright, incisive play from Arsenal over the course of the last two games. We really haven't seen much at all this calendar year. I mean, they did but, lose at home to us too soon, so yeah, I, I can understand yeah, yeah. that you're worried. Well, but I, and that's exactly why. And then we had a larger cushion, and we're facing much lesser opposition, but we were still able to kind of limp across the line. There can be no limping in this game. Like they need to go for it, and they need to play quality football moving forward. Because I am not convinced that we can keep a clean sheet against Milan, and. I also believe in our ability to switch off and bang, bang, get hit twice quickly. The same that we saw the other Italian side come in to Wembley and do to Tottenham, right? So it, it all depends to me. I will be really interested to see how the first 20 minutes of this game unfolds. And if we see a, a foot on the gas arsenal that are inspired, that would be great. But, we're also going to need to require to get goals from midfield because I don't believe that Danny Welbeck is going to score them. I hope he proves me wrong. I hope that he ends up getting a first-half hat trick. But although I was praising his leadership qualities after the last game in this tie, I nonetheless do not, I do not have faith in him to produce up front because he's just in such woeful form. So we're going to need goals from the flanks. We're going to need goals from midfield. Because I don't believe that they can just shut up shop and expect we can't expect a clean sheet out of this Arsenal side. Clearly, they've shown us that they can provide them, but expecting that would be a fool's errand at this point, given what we've seen from them down the season, you know, on a larger scale. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens at the Emirates. We'll be back probably on Thursday after that game. We'll see if Elliot is in a happy mood or if he's in a sad mood. And hopefully I'll be in a good mood, depending on what happens on Tuesday. But until then, be sure to follow us on Twitter. I'm Seb Norin. Elliot is Keats was better. Polly is P. Questel. And give FanRag Sports a follow as well. And we'll talk to you again later in the week. Until then, have a good one. Bye-bye.